Welcome to The Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Carowin, Chapter 7, The Map Days became the color of drab, smelling of gray and drenched cement. Dark clouds reached down to caress the girl's house, their dripping fingers leaving a sloppy fingerprint running down the window panes in a flat drip, 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 when they reached for the leaves below. Inept lights were turned on by midday, straining against the penetrating shadows, but doing little to quarantine them. A draft from the sagging door, the skitter of cold along the floor, snipping at innocent toes. The girl draws on a sweater and stuffs her feet into fluff and stitching. Slippers. Hideous. She makes her way slowly down the stairs, finding the woman in the main room of the house. Mom, she begins. The woman does not look up from the infant, watching him, always watching him, of course. When the woman does not raise her eyes, the girl continues, where's my box of farm animals? I want to set them up. Hmm, I'm not sure. Maybe they got put in the basement. Why don't you go look for them? The basement? A twist of distaste and a glance towards the kitchen and beyond to the deep stairway. Yeah, they probably got mixed up with the other boxes. Go see. Can you help me? The woman looks up then. No, I'm taking care of the baby. You know what you're looking for anyway. A long, slow sigh. Feet dragging through the kitchen. A pause at the top of the well that is a flight of stairs. Tumbling darkness, tight-fitting walls, the smell of time stagnating, caught where it does not belong. The girl slowly reaches up for the light switch, a feeble weapon against the dark and the dank. A click and an ineffective push of light against the gloom. The hollow echo of slow, tentative steps. A white-knuckled grip on the railing. The girl stops at the bottom of the stairs and peers into the pall of shadows. She shivers and moves cautiously toward a stack of boxes. She begins to unstack it looking into this one, then that one, shoving aside each box in its turn. She doesn't see them, the shadows, but I do. Who knows what mischief they're up to? Certainly not mine. I watch their slithering and gathering, their coming together to further shut out the light. I hear their silent approach, a noiseless push against sound, 
a nothingness in which whispers seem deafening. A sea of dark drawing near the girl, a throng of emptiness, the absence of light, shepherding the girl further into the basement with each box she moves. A fortress of discarded boxes between the girl and the stairs now. The girl searching with a sigh, a groan, and another shove of a box. And ever the shadows caressing her further, deeper into the dank and the dust, the crumbling cement and the dimming recess of things long forgotten. Oblitas nisi mi omnia. If I could create light, this is one of the few times I would, just to drive them back. But I cannot create, and most certainly I cannot create light. Not here, not in this tiresome world. These things, creation and light, are hoarded by the enemy. His alone to yield, as if any small advantage given to me would tip the balance. As if he feared I might come to rule this pitiful slum in his stead. He does not fight fair. The desired box is not found, and now the girl stands at the far end of the basement. Boxes stacked high behind her, hands on hips and a frown on her dust-covered face. A glance backwards and a start. She looks around once more, then squints into the gloom before her. Another peering and a deep breath. A step forward and a reaching hand. The hand finds a doorknob disappearing into the shadows to clutch the thing. A twist and a push, an easing of the dark, the midnight green scent of motionless time. It might remind you of a sand-laden tomb, or perhaps you might think of a dripping wet dungeon. It makes it difficult to draw breath, and when you do, your lungs choke on the crowded heaviness of the murky air. And in the back of your mind is the echo of crows or the flutter of bat wings, or the hiss of incomprehensible mutterings uttered in the gloom. It was all of these things. Two things are visible in the small half-circle of struggling light that fights its way into the room from behind the girl, trying to move in with her. A table made of wood and a wardrobe standing on the floor on the far side of the room, deep in the crawling, covering recesses of shadows. I watch as the shadows surround the girl in the closet, pulling them together. They are like an icy wind making the path unbearable, forcing her to take shelter. There's nothing I can do about it, nothing. I try, I make the woman call to the girl, but the shadows pull the sound down into the blackness long before it reaches the girl's ears. 
I dim the light behind her, but the girl is now accustomed to the shadows and only gives a cursory glance back before moving further into the room. I move the table to block her path. The girl bumps into it, grabs at her leg, then gives it an impotent shove as she moves around it. There's nothing for it. In the blackness, under the watch of the shadows, the girl's hand finds the handle to the cabinet door and gives it a sharp twist. There is her box, deep in the black hollow of the wardrobe floor, only barely discernible beneath the hems of the coats and jackets hanging there. But there is something else waiting in the darkness too. The girl reaches for the box, but the shadows shift at just the precise time. Her eye catches the brightening of the still light where it falls to the floor with a fracture and a glinting. The girl reaches blindly and her hand finds a chain. Silver and rubies so deep in the shadows they both appear as onyx. She scoops it up and studies the thing for a long moment as it lies cold and lifeless in her palm. Leave it. Hurry upstairs with your box. She cannot hear me. Mom's bracelet. The girl whispers into the shadows. They answer with a flurry of howling whispers. The girl kneels and begins to crawl into the closet, her hands roving back and forth on the floor in the dark. Slowly, so, very, slowly, the shadows pull away and the girl looks up into an ephemeral glow lighting the back of the cabinet. She squints against the brightness of it there in the dark. She cocks her head to one side, and I hear it then, the tinkling of a music box, the notes dripping into the cabinet around the girl in weightless tones of metal and glass. The girl stands and pushes aside the jackets and coats, a tender light invading the small confines of the cabinet around her. She takes a leery step forward and stumbles out of the cabinet into a room of revolving light and music. The black marble floor is pulled up by the black banister of the far-off stairway. The light of the chandelier high overhead fights its way through the dripping black stones choking off its brilliance. There is a swirling of white skirts and black jacket tails and people in sequined masks glance down at the girl as they swish past her. They are goblins with hooked noses, witches with hooded eyes, peacocks with drooping feathers, phantoms with eyes and mouths traced over their features, animals, fairies, they are anything they have chosen to be.
The girl reaches back as she takes a step away from the dancer's stilted steps. Steps that fall as heavily as the music surrounding them. Her hand finds the scratchy silver of a ball gown and she turns to study it. The shadows whisper and the girl looks down at the bracelet in her hand. She straps it to her wrist, then tugs at the dress until it falls from its hanger. The girl quickly steps into the too large glittering nothingness of the gown. She pulls at the skirt until she can see her feet, then walks out into the crowd. Someone bends and hands her a mask as he passes by, a form of stardust and ribbons in the shape of eyes and a nose. The girl ties it to her face and looks about her, squinting through the mask. A step that becomes a skip and a hop, a twist that becomes a twirl, a pause that becomes a bow, and the girl is whisked into the dance. She spins and whirls, she steps and hops, finally breathless. The girl steps out of the revolving mass of people. A woman approaches the girl. What words describe her in her black petticoats and taffeta skirts that hold the light until it ceases to be? She is the color of char and the feel of velvet. She is the scent of midnight on a cloudy night. She is the sound of raven's wings when she moves. What are you doing here? demands the woman. I... I... stutters the girl. This is an exchange ball. You cannot attend unless you have brought something to trade. The girl is silent, staring up at the woman. Well, squawks the woman, do you have something to trade? The girl raises her hand, the bracelet dangling from her chicken bone wrist. A nice bauble, the woman nods. Very well, as you have brought jewels, I will trade you a jewel in return. She reaches into the handbag secured to her wrist by black satin ribbons. The woman produces a small dagger. Dark-cut jewels, the color of a storm-churned lake embedded in the handle. I will trade you this, the woman offers. The girl, mouth still hanging open and eyes unfocused, undoes the clasp of the bracelet and exchanges it for the woman's dagger. The woman quickly straps the bracelet to her wrist, smiles down at the girl, then disappears into the whirling mass of people stirring the dance floor. The girl examines the dagger for a moment, fingering the cool stones and the almost not there blade. She starts, then looks at her finger. A single prick of crimson blood lingers there, blooming into a drop. The girl frowns, sticks her finger in her mouth, and moves farther into the room. I saw that, 
a man says suddenly beside the girl in his black jacket and white bow tie. Saw what? The girl mumbles around the finger still stuck in her mouth. She quickly pulls it out. That woman gave you her dagger, the man pronounces. I've been wanting that for quite some time. It belongs to her, after all. Will you trade for this? The man reaches into his jacket and pulls out a piece of cardboard with strings on either end. He pulls the strings apart, letting the cardboard spin in the air between them. The girl glimpses a picture of a beggar woman in blue ink on white cardboard. But as the thing spins, the woman transforms into a princess. The girl reaches curiously for the cardboard, blithely handing the dagger to the man. The man immediately moves off, following the black skirts of the woman, and the girl is left turning the cardboard and string over in her hand. She looks at the pictures on their opposite sides. She's about to make the thing spin again, but her eye catches a splash of red darting between folds of white and black. The girl follows it, glimpsing the color only now and then. Her disjointed course brings her to the stairs at the far end of the room and she looks up. On the dais, at the top of the steps, stands a girl surveying the matted crowd. Her hair is black, her cheeks are white, and her lips are red. The same red as the satin of her gown. She stands, hands clasped in front of her, and looks down at the girl. The girl moves slowly up the stairs until she and the girl in red are standing eye to eye. Without a word, the girl holds the spinning cardboard up between them, letting it twirl in the air. The girl in red looks to it, then takes it in her hand. She reaches into the layers of her skirts and pulls out a folded piece of paper. The girl in red hands it to the girl in silver who unfolds it. Lines and forms and labels meet the girl's eye. The map, the girl whispers. There is a sudden dimming of the lights and the girl looks up in time to see the girl in red turning to her. The party is over, the girl in red says. You ought to go now. The girl turns to look out over the dance floor. She listens as the music box notes slow and twist, becoming sharp things that make her teeth ache. She turns to the girl in red who's White cheeks have become the color of char under burnt sugar. The light ebbs like the sun at the close of the day and the shadows pull the girl violently down the steps just as the girl in red reaches a skeletal hand for the girl in silver. The girl stumbles down the steps and pushes her way through the swirling skirts and a screen door laughter that is slowly building to a crescendo. The girl's staccato steps echo about her as she moves forward. She dares a glance up and finds all eyes turned to her flight. The scene is changed now, where splendor and light once reigned now.
tatters, darkness, gray faces, and drunken dance steps hold sway. Black plastered walls drip away, crumbling into decaying cement. Marble floors yield to shadow and dust. The girl is almost at the cabinet again when a cadaverous hand reaches and grips the girl's star silver dress. The girl turns to find eyes the color of topaz burning into her face. She screams and tries to pull the hand away, but it holds fast. Quickly, the girl tugs at the zipper on the side of the dress, steps out of its tatters and dust, and runs for the cabinet. She grabs the box and hurries back through the basement, still clutching the map tightly and shielding herself from the blackness with it. A dart and a run, a dodge and a push of a box. The shadows part before her, giving way to the light and creating a path for the girl's retreat. Her feet find the stairs, running steps, and she is gone, leaving the shadows and the cabinet behind. She reaches the top of the stairs, pausing just long enough to close and latch the door firmly behind her. She hurries her hard-won treasures up to her room. to Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.